Well, we are in the sermon series we've called 24. We're walking through the different times of the, the, the day before Jesus goes to the cross. And uh, we're reading scripture today. If uh, you don't mind, if you, and if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading through the Matthew account of uh, this time together. And if you come to Tenenbrae, we, you will hear this probably again, um, and it'll be a little more significant because as time dwindles, so will the light in the room, and it uh, is very powerful for us. But this is the word of the Lord today, according to the Gospel of Matthew. To those who had arrested, <clears throat> those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him from a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down at the, to, uh, with the guards to see the outcome. The high priests of the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you, going to, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing to you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I'm charge, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man which is important, that little phrase, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. And they spit on his face, and they struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who is it that hits you? Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, and then another servant girl saw him and, saw the pe- and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know that man. After a little while, those standing there went up, and Peter said, went up to Peter and said, surely you are, with, you are one of them. According to your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know that man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord today. Thanks. You may be seated. Some of the best entertainment that TV and movies have to offer, and it's minimal, but some of the best over time have revolved around a setting in a courtroom, and I like those kind of things, those kind of dramas, those are about the only kind of dramas I like, but some of the best lines, right, 
And some of the best drama come from that courtroom setting. Um, the drawn-out monologues to create suspense, you know, get you on the ends of your seat. Uh, the creative camera shots back and forth to the judge, to the jury, to the defendant, all the people in the, in the um, crowd. They, they create those emotional moments. And, um, and I know you, you probably got a few of those shows in your mind right now, right? Um, there's movies. Now, I'm not recommending these movies. So I've, I've seen them. But I'm not recommending them, just if that's a problem. Um, I'm not telling you to go watch them. But I have seen them. But there's, there's movies that are uh, courtroom movies, like A Time to Kill. You seen that one? You don't have to raise your hand. But Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Sandra Bullock, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's a good one. Set in the South, um, really good one. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, famous, right? I heard it's a book, but I don't read books. So um, I heard it's a really good book. Gregory Peck was in it. Uh, actually, I have read that because it was a school book that you had to read back in the day. Um, you know, and Atticus Finch and Boo Radley and all those things. And of course, the greatest one ever made, the, the high-intensity military courtroom drama of A Few Good Men, right? Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson... You can't handle the truth. You can't, right? And there's also TV shows that, um, that are courtroom. Matlock. Yeah? Yeah. Andy Griffith. Come on. You know, I've seen every Andy Griffith show, period. When I grew up on the farm, we'd come in for lunch, and that's what was on. Because Andy Griffith, you know? Him and Opie, and they solved all the problems. And then he became a lawyer, you know? Um, so Matlock, with his gray suit... Every t- and he always got him by some dumb way. Matlock was awesome. And then, you know, there's the never-ending Law and Order saga. They're on like 747 seasons. There's Law and Order SUV and Law and Order Omaha and Law and Order whatever. You know, Law and Order SRO in the junior high. You know, I don't know. And there's even comedic twists on it because Night Court was really funny. And they've, I think they're bringing that one back. Um, but uh, uh, so here's the thing with all those shows. Uh, it, it, like every Hollywood production, you know, um, whether it be a 30-minute show or a two-hour movie, it doesn't matter. There's resolution, right? They can solve every problem in 22 minutes. Um, there's a conflict, you know. There's plot twists for sure. You know, and that, what, that's what pulls us all in. There's always a, a hard right turn, and, oh, that's insurmountable, right? There's, there's an obstacle that cannot be overcome. But then our hero lawyer finds that an obscure missing piece of, of evidence that was in the corner, under the bed, or whatever, you know? And, uh, and, and in the end, there's resolution. We actually do find out that Colonel Jessup ordered the code red, you know? Spoiler alert, you know? And if you haven't seen A Few Good Men, and I spoiled it for you, it, was, it came out in 1996, so it's your own fault. Here, uh, we, we're taking time uh, during this uh, Easter season to look at the last 24 hours of G- that Jesus spent leading up to his sacrifice on the cross. And so far, we've looked at the table, right? And we had a table set up, and, 
Uh, while, and, and Jesus asked us to remember him, remember what he did for us. And he asked us to do, he asked his disciples, even before he did it, do this in remembrance of me, right? And it was, it, they were like, all right, I mean, we eat all the time. Is that what you're talking about? And they couldn't quite figure it all out until the next day. And, and then Miss Jennifer uh, did a great job, didn't she? Last week, she talked about the garden and the agony and surrender through prayer that Jesus experienced in the garden before Judas handed him over to the chief priests and the temple guards to be taken off to where we're at today. Today, we're in this time frame uh, of Jesus' last day, and it happens in the middle of the night. How many of you are night owls? Like, you're, you're excellent, you're third shift people, you, you're, if you were, like, I, I used to stock shelves, I stocked shelves uh, overnight at a grocery store for a little while, and it was terrible. I'm not built to be up at night, it's just not that way. And I go to bed and I get up. I'm not, even, I'm not built to wake up in the morning either, but I'm not built to be up at night. But this happened, in the, it was either in the wee, wee, or like 3, 4, or 5 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there. It was early, early in the morning. And, uh, and what happens during this time, two events happen. Uh, first thing is the most jacked up trial in the history of mankind, all right? And two, the most public and famous denial in the history of mankind as well. Honestly, one of the most interesting things about this trial, unlike a movie or TV show, there's no resolution whatsoever. There was an ending, but there was no resolution. And really, that's the, uh, I don't really do commercials for the things that we do, but if you come on Good Friday to our tin embrace service, that's the coolest part about it. There's no resolution. Usually when we say amen and you leave on a Sunday morning, you're like, there's like an exhale, and you go, and there's a finish to it. But when we blow the Christ candle out and everybody leaves in silence that day, just like they would have when Jesus died on the cross, there's no resolution. And that's what this this is like today. There's no resolution in this trial, even though there was an, an ending. There was a verdict, but there's no resolution. Another spoiler alert, just so you know, in this passage of the story, uh, Jesus gets crucified. That's the ending. Okay? We know the ending of the story. There's, there's quite a bit going on here. Um, it's like a three-part story. So um, we're going to read it a little bit and uh, talk about it and read a little bit. We'll be in the book of Mark today. Uh, if you want to find that in your scripture, we'll be in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Matthew, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. And uh, uh, there's four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. And in each of the gospels, this account, this last 24 hours of Jesus' life... You can find it, um, and each one has a different little layer and uh, different little um, uh, details of things, but today's account, I think that you'll hear, I mean, did he read the, we already read Matthew's account as our scripture reading today, but I think you're going to say, well, didn't he just read that? Because a lot of it will sound exactly the same, um, but Mark chapter 14 today is where we'll start, and we read... 
Um, and see, Mark, his, his gospel is told through, as anybody know, through the eyes of who? Peter. So Peter probably dictated this story, this account, to Mark, and he wrote it all down. And so he gets writing credit for everything. That's why his name's on it. But Peter is the one who's telling the story. He was there. And it's also the reason the Mark is the shortest gospel and the most arbitrary. It's all over the place. Because why? Peter's, that's the way he is. That's his personality. He was all over the place too. So we'll be in verse 50. We'll start in verse 53 of chapter 14. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, where he sat down with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they could not find any. They testified, many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then... Some stood up and gave a, a, this te false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple and made with human hands, and in three days I will, build it I will build another, not made with human hands. Yet, even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before him and asked Jesus, are you, going, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest again asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And this is where the, the Matthew account and the Mark account, they kind of differ, right? <coughs> In verse 62, I am, Jesus said, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses, he asked. Do you, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And then some, uh, and some began to spit on, on him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So there, there's a lot of redundancy there between Matthew and Mark, right? Sounds almost exactly the same, like they were sitting in the same room, taking the same notes almost. But there's a little bit of difference. There's a little more different detail. You can tell somebody is different is writing it. And honestly, this is kind of the, the, whole, the whole situation is like a script from a movie, I think. It, it, the group, the, this, who could think it up? Think about it today. If this happened in the real world where somebody who knowingly comes together with a bunch of false witnesses, fake, um, fake witnesses, telling lies under oath in the stories, right? That um, nobody would believe it. No jury would convict. No lawyer would even take it to trial, right? Wouldn't happen. But this group of entitled men, these priests, these religious leaders with their power and their influence, they have a bone to pick with someone that speaks against them. His name was Jesus. They should have been on his team. He was on their team, in theory. He didn't like the way they practiced, right? He didn't like the way they taught, but they would have been on the same team had 
they all been able to line up. And they feel, the, the religious leaders, the high priests, they feel that they, they need to eradicate him. They need to get rid of him and, and end his life, which really means they need to eliminate the threat of losing their power and their influence over the people and their way of life that they've become very accustomed to and comfortable with, right? Because they could see the end in sight. If Jesus stuck around and continued to teach and to progress in his popularity in the way that people were following him and doing and, 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 and following the ways that he was teaching, they saw what was, what was coming, right? And in verse 56 of chapter 14, it said, Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Well, you can tell that this was not very coordinated. These guys were not very good at being deceitful, which is kind of a compliment. You don't want to be known as that person, right? But it's like uh, the temple guards, the, guys, the, the thugs that worked for the high priest, basically, went out and they gathered up all the homeless people and the beggars and you know, they, they gave him a, a little note card with, this is what you say, here's a $10 bill, you guys line up outside the courtroom, and when we call you, this is what you're going to say against Jesus. His name is Jesus. And, and one by one, they filtered him in, and they said, and this is what Jesus, yeah, Jesus did to me, and then they went through. And the next guy comes along, thanks for the $10 thing. And, and this is what so-and-so, oh, and this is what Jesus did, and they just funneled him through. And none of their stories connected. Why? Because they were lies. Of course they didn't work. You ever caught your kids in a lie? Yeah, because one begins another, and then they can't figure it out. What did I say before? And then this all falls apart. But finally, the chief priest gets disgusted by it. He's like, finally, I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And he stands up, and he, and he questions Jesus specifically. And, uh, and, and he puts him under oath. And, and essentially, uh, he says, um, Jesus, and when he puts him under oath, he, this was significant in those days because Jesus was silent the whole time, right? He didn't answer their questions. He didn't feel the need. But, but when he put him under oath, the, the, the absence of an answer signified that he was guilty of something. So, when he put him under oath, and that's what Matthew's account made it different than, than Mark's, that uh, he said under oath, he asked him specifically, are you the Messiah, right? And so I don't know how they did it. If they asked Jesus to come up and get on the stand and put his hand on the Torah and said, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you, you, or what? But that's what he, you know, if that's how they did oaths back then or what the, what the story was, but he said, are you the Messiah? And he just gave an answer. One question. I am. That was the answer. Very simple answer. Those two words, right? They were pretty huge. Um, and if you remember the old, it, that was just a simple yep. Yeah, basically. Jesus saying yes. You know, he was a man of few words when it was important like that. But if you remember the Old Testament story of the burning bush and Moses and their culture and their history that the high priest would have known that the two-word answer, that I am answer, and when Moses said, who am I supposed to tell you is sending me to let my people go? And God tells him, you tell him, I am. I am is sending you. And 
the whole room would have shook, right? And the Jesus answer here, I am, is not quite the same translation. So he's not saying Yahweh, right? Is, but, um, but you think when Jesus said, I am, the priests would have automatically gone there and uh, they knew the Torah. They knew the significance of those two words and how it could have shook the whole room up. And uh, Jesus follows, though, with this phrase, and this is what sealed it for him. That he answers with, uh, with, with a modern day, in those days, buzzword. He says, the son of man. The son of man would have been recognized by all of those priests because that equaled, son of man equaled Messiah in those days, in, in their language. And, and so in that time, anytime you see son of man, it equals Messiah, Jesus used it all the time to refer to himself. And Jesus answered their question with I am. And he says, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the one coming in the clouds in heaven. And, they, they, and the, the chief priests go nuts. They go crazy. They tear their clothes. They accuse him of blasphemy. And basically, from there, they're claim, Jesus is, they say, you're claiming to be the Messiah, which we all believe to be true. They didn't. And essentially, Jesus' fate was sealed from there. It was just a matter of time from that point forward, right? And interestingly enough, time from that moment forward was essential for the high priests. Why? Because it was Friday morning. And what happens at Friday night? Sabbath, right? Sundown on Friday night, that's Sabbath. And we can't do... We can't do no killing on Sabbath, so we can't even chew gum on Sabbath, so we're, we're, we're not allowed. And it was very early on Friday. We have all day to get Jesus executed. How are we going to do this? And so the clock was ticking. It was like 60 minutes is getting ready to start, and uh, they had to put Jesus to death as soon as possible. Problem was, they had every ability to convict and no authority to execute. So they had to have somebody on their side. Um, and the interesting, the, the, the part, the simultaneous part in this is our next passage. Uh, at the very same time, all of this messed up trial is happening at, in the courtroom. Peter, he's outside in the outer courtroom. And uh, we read the, his encounter while Jesus is being tried in the courtroom, Peter's being tried outside. While Peter, this is verse 66 in, in verse uh, chapter 14. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, he was clo he lo she looked at him closely. You were also with that Nazarene, Jesus, uh, Jesus she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he went into the entryway. When the servant, uh, another servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to him, for, swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time, 
And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crowed twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Good old Peter, right? Peter in the garden. This is all happening. Jesus is inside being tried basically for his life. Peter, his most earnest follower, is on the outside. And uh, just like last week, uh, Jennifer, she shared about the garden. In the garden, Peter does what Peter does, right? Judas betrays Jesus. There's a scuffle. And what happens? Peter grabs a sword, chops a dude's ear off. Okay, and if you ever have a reference that you have to remember, 1 Peter, whatever, that's how you remember, 1 Peter 1, 5, right? That's how you remember, 1 Peter, because he chopped the guy's ear off, and Jesus healed the ear. They take him off, because Peter, he just lived that way. He was spontaneous. He was crazy a little bit, and he just didn't think, no filter. He talked before he thought. You know anybody like that? Okay, there's that person at work that you're thinking of right now. I guarantee it. And so he was fight or flight all the way, but most of the time he was just fight, you know? And he cuts off the ear of the guard. Jesus is arrested. He's taken off. But Peter follows from afar. And in verse 54, it says that he followed from a distance, and he got, he, uh, he got so bold as to just go right up and sit next to the palace guard next to the fire to get warm. But here's the deal. Peter probably should not have been there, right? He should, have, he should have probably stayed away. Where were the other guys? There was 10 more left. Where did they go? Now, um, there's a lot of commentaries will tell you that John was there with him. So maybe there were nine, okay? And John most likely was following Peter from afar to try and get him out of trouble because that was John's kind of job. He was kind of the caretaker of the whole crew. He watched over everybody. That's why um, Jesus trusted him the most, I think, because he kind of was shelter guy. So he probably went to make sure Peter didn't do anything dumb. Um, and so, but Peter probably shouldn't have been there because what happened just a few hours before, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Peter was like, no way, Jesus, it's Peter. I'm here, man. I'm here for you. I'm going to do this the way I'm, I'm here for you. And Jesus is like, no. Before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter put himself right in the thick of things, in the middle of a terrible situation. And, you know, of course, they, they see him. And, and uh, he's, a, he's approached, Right? He's recognized for who he was with, for who he was, for what he sounded like. And he was asked, didn't you, weren't you with? And each time, no, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and the final time, he even curses, you know, just for effect. You know, probably, hopefully, wasn't very good at it, although he was a fisherman. And the term curse like a sailor comes from somewhere. So he might have been really good at cussing. I don't know. But he cusses for effect. Like if he was with Jesus, he wouldn't be cussing at all. So he cusses just to make a point, And he curses and like, I don't know him, right? And immediately, both, both accounts, right? And, and the other two as well. Immediately, 
cock-a-doodle-doo. I don't know if the chicken was right there or not, or if it was faint or whatever. It doesn't matter. He heard it. It might not even have really happened, but in his head. But that was all that was important. And in Luke's gospel, read it. It's really cool. Okay? You should read your Bible. Have I ever said that? <laughs> read it. It's, it's incredible. In Luke's gospel, we get the awesome, because this is all happening at the same time Jesus' trial, right? And they mock Jesus, and they're slapping him, and they, they condemn him. The conviction happens, and they're taking him out. And in Luke's gospel, as soon as, as, soon as the denial happens and the rooster crows, they're, they're crossing paths. And Luke's gospel says that Jesus makes eye contact with him, which is incredible. And after that third denial, Peter's life, it could have been defined by that moment, Right? And we've, we've talked about Peter's surrender recently and um, how that was all resolved three day, four days later on the beach over breakfast with Jesus, a resurrected Savior at that point. And we've talked about God's sanctifying grace in Peter's life and Peter's role in the launch of the church and the kingdom on earth and how the Holy Spirit used him. So Peter will be good, right? Peter will be good. But at 4 o'clock in the morning on Good Friday, right? Not so much. In the moment. Have you ever had those moments? We, like you and I, we, we know the end. All right? We have it because we have read the account. We know the end. But Peter didn't. He didn't understand. Jesus told him, multiple times. This is what's going to happen. But he didn't understand it in the moment. So imagine the shame and the guilt that he experienced. No, no wonder he ended up back in his boat fishing, going back to what he knew so he could hide from himself and everybody else. We would have done the same thing. Am I right? So after Peter denies Jesus a third time, the temple guards rushed Jesus off to Pilate because Pilate, the governor of Rome in that area, did have the authority to execute. And on to another set of trials, another one that didn't make any sense in, verse, in chapter 15 of Luke. Very early in the morning. Again, not the best time. But that's how urgent and messed up things were. How many trials do you know of take place in the middle of the night? None. Not even in those times. It's not the way it worked. They didn't care. They wanted it done, and they didn't want anybody to know about it. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the, chief, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. That's bad news. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So this is their time to unload. This is the prosecution saying, here's what he's done. And so Pilate asked him, uh, Pilate asked him are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. 
Now, it was a custom at the festival to release a prisoner from whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was a, is in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in an uprising. And the crowd came up, and the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of the self-interest of the chief priests had handed Jesus, that Jesus had handed over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So what shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked of them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, and this is where the problem for Pilate is. Wanting the crucify, the, to, say, to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. Jesus goes to the cross as a lamb goes to the slaughter. Silent. He's just led. He had spoken already, just a few words, but it was enough for him to be condemned in this messed up, trumped up trial that they had for him. The cards were stacked against him as a human, but we know, and he knew, it was going to happen because it's why he was there. It was his purpose from the beginning to give his life for me. And that's what had to happen for, for it to all happen, for, for that to go on. That's what had to happen. And this encounter with Pilate is just all part of the drama because Pilate was pretty smart. He had figured it out. He saw through all of the garbage, okay? And that's as dicey as I'll get standing here in the church, okay? He saw through all of it. The lies of the chief, the chief priests, he heard the testimonies. He's like, no, that's dumb. That's not true. You can't say that. Inadmissible, inadmissible. Objection, right? Sustain, no, whatever. He saw through all of it. Even he tried to defer and sent Jesus to Herod. King Herod was in town, okay? Making it, I don't know if he was on tour or what, but King Herod was in town. And Herod was like, he was super excited because he had always wanted to meet Jesus, he had heard word about Jesus and how great he was. And so he wanted to meet him. And so Herod was like, yes, bring it on. But Herod just wanted to see Jesus do a miracle, like he was some circus performer or something, right? He had no idea the, the kind of savior that Jesus was. And that was not the response that Herod wanted. So he got ticked. And his soldiers put the robe on Jesus. They mocked him like he was a king because Herod was a king. And he's like, you're not a king, I'm a king. This is what kings do. So they put the robe on him, they beat him, they mocked him, and they sent him back to Pilate. And from there, things amped up very quickly. Remember, the high priest time of the, for the high priest, times of the essence. And it's early morning now. Okay, it's probably eight-ish, maybe, maybe a little earlier. Sabbath is quickly approaching. They have all these boxes to check 
as the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, and the appearances that they have to keep, right, of, of being whole, and they know the law and what they have to do. That's religion. That's what Jesus was trying to get rid of, and that's what they hated, and that's what our world hates about religion is all the stuff that you got to do this before you even approach. Jesus was about a relationship with God, right? That's what he was about, and that's what they did not like because everything he taught was about pointing a relationship with his heavenly Father. And all that other stuff would fall into place by loving your neighbor as yourself, right? That was the only commandment that made sense to Jesus. It was the greatest commandment, as I have loved you. That's what he told the, the disciples just hours before. That would change everything and get rid of the 600-plus laws that these guys wanted to follow to a T. And so it's important that they get their dirty work done before the holy day comes so their hearts are, are free and clear and they're at peace but Pilate finds no fault in Jesus. So he orders, he just says, I'm just going to have him flogged and I'm going to let him go. But the crowd is like, and the chief priests are like, that's not good enough. No, sir. We're, we're not going to hand it. Um, and by that time, the crowd had been assembled. I don't know if they went and knocked on doors and woke everybody up or what. But they got the crowd up and rolling and they, they, they conveniently got it to be an anti-Jesus crowd and they begin to get unruly, and Pilate didn't want an unruly crowd. What he wanted was to keep his job. And so to keep his job and risk, uh, instead of risk losing his position as the governor there, they, he gave the people the choice. And obviously the people chose Barabbas, and Jesus was sentenced to death. So we have a trial, trial, and we have a denial. Next week, we get to explore the final hours of Jesus and his life on the cross. So as we wrap up today, just a few takeaways from this. Three questions, because that's what we've done. Okay? Um, things that you can chew on for right now, but hopefully you kind of take them with you this week. First question is this. Who are you listening to? Because who we listen to is important. Pilate, he was convinced he knew the truth, right? He didn't believe Jesus was guilty. He tried to convince whoever he could, and it didn't work. He had the power to say no. He had the power to put a stop to it, even though the people were getting unruly. But he listened to the wrong people. And when we listen to the wrong people, things typically don't work out, right? We have to surround ourselves with people that will speak truth into our lives. Enough so that when the truth is not present, we recognize it immediately. And that's not always easy, which leads us to the next question, right? Because who you listen to is important. So the next question is, do you put yourself in the position where your confidence is in Christ? Peter put himself in a bad position, didn't he? He put himself in a Now, Jesus said that he was going to deny 
Peter was going to deny him. So what was going to happen? He was going to get denied. This is the way it's going to happen. Peter put himself in a terrible position. But this is a hard issue. And it's a physical location issue. Typically, we can't go anywhere without our, we can't physically go anywhere without our heart. So that makes sense. But our hearts need to be in a good place. And that comes from a place of prayer. Jennifer talked about that last week. Right? And that's, I mean, that's where Jesus was. He dealt with everything. To be honest, he had let go of everything for the cross probably three years before. While he's in the wilderness, before he's even tempted. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's baptized. And he goes in the wilderness and he's preparing to do this great thing. The purpose for why he was there on earth. And and then he, he completely surrenders in the garden because of prayer. It, this, this comes from a place of seeking God's word and, and finding answers in Scripture because it applies to our life. The Bible is both timeless and timely. I, when I was a kid's pastor, we said that a thousand times a, a month probably. It, applies, it applied then, it applies now, and it will always apply to everything that we, all, we ever encounter. Nothing is new under the sun. Nothing. And so that's, that's why we have to continually be reading. I joked, I got a new Bible yesterday, and my kids were like, why are you getting a new one? Has it changed? I'm like, no. Just gotta, this one's full, so I want to get a, you know, I didn't get the new one. It's not the sequel or anything. It just... But we've got to be using it. We've got to be seeking God's word. It's a matter of trusting in God. It's a matter of surrendering every part of our lives to him every day, sometimes every hour, because that's where we're at. That's the stage of life we're in. And for our hearts to be in a good place, our bodies need to be in a, physical, in a great physical place too. It doesn't mean we have to be in a good physical shape. Although that helps, right? But our bodies need to be in a physical place that, that, that keeps us out of bad situations. Peter physically was in a bad spot. He was bold enough, which is great, to go sit next to the chief priest guard next to fire at the fire. Ooh, what's up? You know, are you going to arrest me or what? Um, you know, that was pretty bold. But... Um, those places, those places that tempt us, those places that help, that make us struggle, they differ, you know, for me, for you, for you, they're different, right? In everybody's life, according to what you've dealt with, I get it, right? Um, different places that tempt us all in different ways. But if you struggle with drinking beer, stay out of the liquor store, don't go down that aisle at the grocery store. It makes sense. Just think common sense. If, if you struggle with uh, pornography, stay off the internet. Don't watch TV. Close your eyes. Most of the time, that's the way it's going to have to work these days. If you struggle with buying things you can't afford, don't go to the store. Stay off Amazon for sure. Because it's easy. Your kids can do it, and they do. 
And it goes beyond that, you know? Because if you're not the person that you should be when you're hanging out with that person, don't hang out with that person. Okay? And yes, you know, if you're constantly gossiping and talking about people when you're hanging out with that crowd, don't hang out with that crowd. And yes, that means that you will be gossiped and talked about. That's the way it works. It might mean you have to delete a few contacts off your phone. It might mean you have to get rid of your phone. It might mean that you have to unfollow some follows on social media or just get off it completely, except for Emporia First Church uh, (laughs) social media, so you know what's going on. Does that make sense? Put yourself in a position where your confidence is in Jesus Christ. And the third question is this. Do you join the crowd or will you stand alone? Because there will be a mob. There always is, right? There's going to be a mob that's yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That crowd, five days earlier, was singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Same people. Crucify him, crucify him. Not all the same people, but they were the same. Jesus saw all their faces, you know, when he rode into town. And he knew their hearts. And it didn't mean that they wanted to, but the mob, it's easy to join in the crowd. Go to middle school. It's easy to join in the crowd. That very same crowd condemned him. There's that crowd that wavers depending on the weather, right? Depending on who they were with, right? You've seen it on Facebook a million times. Someone makes a comment and another person just jumps on top. And, then, and it's easy because nobody knows who you are there. You're not even, a, you're, just a, you're just bites and you're yeses and noes. You're whatever, no? But by the time you know it, 145 people have commented and you've completely destroyed someone's character, completely. Their opinions, their thoughts, and who they are, and their family, and their, all of it, for no reason, because of the mob. Or you can stand alone. It's the hardest thing in this world to do. It, even if it means being unpopular. Kids, if you are in the, or you're five years old to 20 years old, listen. Even if it means being unpopular. Even if it means being made fun of, because it's going to happen. If it means being crucified. We're not going to be crucified like Jesus was. Nobody's standing around waiting to execute us, right? We live in a great country that way, but we live in a horrible country the other way because we can be crucified in so many different ways, but we can stand alone because here's the thing, the great thing, we're never truly alone because the Holy Spirit's right there with us every step of the way. That's the power of God at work in us. The same power that raises Jesus from the dead that we celebrate in two weeks on Resurrection Sunday. Same power is at work in you. So stand alone. 
Put yourself in a, in a place of confidence in Jesus Christ because who you listen to is important. Amen? Next week's Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of a great, horrible, great week. I encourage you to just pray about it, about what God can do in your own heart and life and your personal relationship with him. It has nothing to do with inviting all your neighbors. I want you to do that. But what's this going to do for you? What can God do for you in your heart, in your relationship with him in these next few weeks? That should always be our desire, right? But I do hope you're inviting your friends for Easter, these people that we're praying for. It's important. And uh, I know God's going to do great, great things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much today for the power that you give to us to work through us, that we know that the things that happen in our lives are because of you. And the good things we are grateful for, and we say thank you. And when we don't say thank you enough, Father, we apologize. And we give that to you, Father, and we say thank you now. And remind us, God, of, of those, those simple things in our lives that we need.